It's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you along with Tony Morrell, the GCI. Glad to be back with you after about a month hiatus. Uh, looking forward to rocking this podcast for the year of 2020. Uh, and, Tony, hopefully uh, things will be a uh, little bit better on the field, on the court, wherever for the Gamecocks this calendar year. But um, certainly a lot to talk about. A lot has transpired uh, since the last time we were with you. And I'll start with uh, probably everybody's favorite topic uh, that gets on message boards on the bigspur.com, things like that, uh, listens to podcasts, and that's coaching changes. Um, I look at the, the numbers for podcast article views. You know, whatever metric you have in this business, coaching changes tend to catch everyone's attention. Uh, I think fundamentally – Coaching changes normally mean hope or a renewed hope, and I think that's why. Uh, but the Gamecocks have had some since we were last with you. And, and I'll start with this. You know, Gamecocks have a new offensive coordinator, the third, I guess, third play caller uh, that Will Muschamp has had uh, going into his fifth year at South Carolina. Uh, former Georgia OC and Colorado State head coach Mike Bobo, a guy we've been familiar with. Uh, for his work at UGA and elsewhere for an awfully long time. Uh, I'll just get your initial thoughts uh, on this hire and uh, sort of what it means, what you've been hearing about it, and, you know, kind of how it all fits. Well, I'd say the, the hire has grown on me. You know, initially when it became apparent that, that Mike Bobo was who Will Muschamp wanted to hire, you know, I, I, I did have some reservations just because – I think innovation is something that, that a lot of the fans and, and people around the program were looking for. And I don't know that, that hiring Mike Bobo is the uh, the best move in terms of, of innovation. But uh, the more I watched what he did at, at Colorado State and thought back to the things he did at Georgia and, and looking at South Carolina's offense and, and some of the things they struggled with this year or this past year, uh, I think he has a chance to to make a, a lot of improvements at South Carolina. Um, you know, I think the running game has a lot of similarities to what South Carolina did under Steve Spurrier um, in terms of, of using the fullback, using two tight ends, running out of the shotgun, uh, getting under center. You're just mixing it up and have a, a, uh, a very diverse running game. And, and I think that's something that was missing at South Carolina this past year. Uh, it seemed like, you know, they really just – ran the zone read or the, uh, the the draw out of the shotgun. And I think they became too easy to defend because of it. So I, I think when you, you look at, at the things he's had success with and, and the type of personnel he wants to use, I think not only can it be effective, but it's different. You know, Teams will have to spend more time preparing for South Carolina than some of the other teams that are going to be on their schedule because so many teams do just run the ball out of the shotgun and the spread and, and only have a couple of different running plays. Um, whereas you know, preparing for South Carolina is going to be a different animal. And, and I think in some ways that could pay off for South Carolina. I also really like Bobo's reputation with quarterbacks. I think that's going to help them. Not that Dan Warner didn't do a good job recruiting quarterbacks, but I think Bobo should at least be able to pick up where Warner left off or even take it up a notch with the ties he has to, to quarterbacks in the Southeast and uh, you know, particularly Gunnar Stockton in the 2022 class and, and, and some of the others. So, um, I've I've gotten more and more optimistic about it as, as time has gone on. And, of course, he hasn't coached a game. He hasn't even coached a practice yet. But just in talking to some different people and, and thinking about it, 
uh, what South Carolina needs, uh, I think he, it could end up being a better hire than a lot of people believed initially. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. I'm, I'm taking a wait-and-see approach with it. Um, uh, and I think, too, I think there's some things like, especially with South Carolina's fan base, you know, he was the offensive coordinator of Georgia during a time where South Carolina, I think, beat him four out of five years. Um, and and you think back to those games, Tony, you know, 2012 was a, a shellacking, so to speak. Dogs didn't go very far on offense that night. Um, had a lot of turnovers and, and, and all that good stuff. I mean, they back to those other games, you know, 45-42 in 2011, that was a game South Carolina had a Melvin Ingram fake punt. I think they had two defensive scores. I think Antonio Allen had one, and, and then Ingram had another at the end. And Marcus Lattimore, I think, ran for about a buck eighty. Uh, and yet the Gamecocks won forty-five. They could not stop Georgia that day. Uh, Georgia kind of screened them to death. Uh, I remember Jimmy Legree didn't have such a great game that game. Uh, I think it was one of his first starts or first SEC starts. Uh, and then in twenty thirteen. Uh, the Bulldogs beat Carolina 41-30. to um, And you can go all the way back to 09, too, when he was the, the offensive coordinator there. Uh, Georgia won that game 41-37. It was a shootout. So, you know, if you just look at the games that Carolina played against them, yeah, there were some games the Gamecocks shut them down. But there were also some games where Georgia went up and down the field with, with relative ease against some pretty good defenses that South Carolina had. Um you know, I remember them beating LSU in a shootout uh, one game that Bobo was calling the plays. Uh, I also think people have to understand, too, when you're examining his later tenure at Georgia, you know, that was during the Todd Grantham years, and then Jeremy Pruitt had to come in. And you remember the talk around the UGA program is Pruitt had a lot of rebuilding to do because Grantham didn't recruit all that well. So Georgia was really struggling on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so their offense was kind of what kept them in it. Um, I also think there's a difference between the early Bobo years at Georgia and what he kind of evolved into. Uh, I do think, you know, when he first took over for Mark Richt, a lot of eye formation, um, run, run, deep pass, uh, sort of like what Mark Richt did at Florida State, um, you know, and did at Georgia early in his career. But it sort of evolved, you know, and there are a lot of different things that they do, particularly in the screen game. You mentioned the run game. Uh, and then at Colorado State, he was even more diverse. Um, so, you know, I'm taking a wait-and-see approach with it. I, I'm, I was all aboard the innovation train. Uh, I believe at South Carolina you have to be somewhat different. Uh, I don't know that Kurt Roper and uh, Brian McClendon were. I think we're all hopeful Brian McClendon would be. But uh, I think, uh, you know, his first plan of action, you know, in terms of what he did to start a game was a little different and tough to stop. But – uh, I think adjustments were a big, big problem uh, at times uh, when Brian McClendon was calling plays and, and probably too reliant on the RPO game. So, you know, I, I think the Gamecocks have a guy that, that if another team has schemed the Gamecocks well enough to shut down, you know, what they think they have to stop, I think Bobo is good enough to say, okay, here's our plan B. Um, and, and I don't think that was in place – at all the last two seasons under McClendon and probably not in all four of Will Muschamp's uh, years uh, as the head coach of South Carolina under Roper or McClendon both. I, I don't think either one of those guys were great at making in-game adjustments. So, um, And if you think back to Steve Spurrier, that's kind of what Steve Spurrier was good at. And if, if you watch the game Monday night with LSU and Clemson, 
Um, I think you'd agree with me, Tony, in that game that adjustments made a lot, a big difference uh, for LSU uh, after the first quarter um, against the Tigers down there in, in the Superdome. So, uh, for those of you that watched that game, that shows you kind of what adjustments can do. And I think at the very least, Bobo's a guy that can do that. Uh, and, and I want to caution everybody again on this, and this is my final point here. Don't expect South Carolina to line up in the eye and, and, and just run, 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 you know. Um, like I said, I, I think that's kind of an early Bobo thing from Georgia. Um, they weren't really doing that toward the end of his tenure, and they certainly didn't do that all the time at Colorado State. It's, it's one thing to get in the eye every now and then, get under center every now and then. Like you mentioned, Steve Spurrier liked to do that. Uh, but it's, qu- it's quite another when you're just doing it over and over and over again. And that's just kind of not what Bobo brings to the table. No, I, I don't expect that to be the case either. But I, I think they're going to be able to run the ball out of shotgun. They're going to be able to run out of eye formation. They're going to have a you know one back set under center. I mean, there's going to be so many different things that they can do, and they may run the same play you know out of a different formation. But you know you have to give an opposing defensive coordinator a lot more things to account for and prepare for. And I think that's something that, that South Carolina has gotten away from these last few years. You know, Spurrier, you know, I hate to keep going back to his tenure, but, you know, you, in big games and week to week, you always count on some new formations, some things you haven't seen from them. And it just he, – he was always keeping the opposing defensive coordinator and defensive staff guessing on what he wanted to do and, and what he was trying to accomplish with a different formation. And, um, and I think it also, you know, having a diverse running game like that also helps your offensive line and just your, your offensive mentality in, in helping become a more physical football team. Uh, and, and I think that's something that South Carolina was not very good at this past year. They were not physical enough offensively. Uh, and I think that's something that, that Bobo is going to, uh, you know, have a chance to change with this offense and, and the, the approach that he wants to take. Yeah, people ask me all the time about this past year and the Gamecocks' offensive identity. We hear that word a lot, offensive identity or that phrase. Uh, and it's probably not what people want to hear, but the, the Gamecock offense was a pass-happy group that wasn't very physical <laughs> or nor explosive. So, you know, that was the bottom line, you know, with, with that bunch is, is the, it was pass-happy, not very physical. Not very explosive. So, I, I think you do have to run the ball these days. And, and I, I think, too, you know, lining up in the shotgun and just, you know, running the inside zone over and over. I see NFL teams do that on Sunday sometimes, Tony, and it's just uh, – I think that's kind of going to – I think that's cycling out on all levels of football because I think defensive coordinators are picking up on it. So, you better be diverse uh, in the running game. Um, another kind of move and uh, – Gosh, I remember when Joe Cox was a recruit uh, out of Charlotte. <laughs> uh, I do too. Move that was made in the in the I'm getting old category. Joe Cox uh, was named the tight ends coach. Bobby Bentley shifting over to assistant quarterbacks coach, which I, which I think fits him well. You know, I I, I kind of looked. It, it's hard to tell whenever somebody comes from the group of five to power five, as far as you know a big, long recruiting track record. Um, and so I've looked up some of his stuff. And, and, you know, as far as who he was recruiting to Colorado State, um, I think he, he did a good job recruiting there. Um, certainly he's got ties to Charlotte um, and is a guy that, uh, 
you know, has a reputation in, in that part of the Carolinas. Um, and, you know, now he's got an SEC program to recruit to. You know, most of the time guys like this work out pretty well. The guys that sort of come out of nowhere um, and then hit the recruiting trail running. Um, your thoughts on, on Joe Cox so far and, and that move? I, I know that uh, Mike Bobo uh, was adamant about bringing him on board and, and Will Muschamp was able to make that happen. Yeah, and that, that really is is what I'm basing most of my feelings on was just how adamant Mike Bobo was that, that Joe Cox needed to be on staff. That tells me that he was extremely impressed with how he has grown as a coach and a recruiter since he hired him at Colorado State. And, you know, the fact that he, he thinks he's ready for it, I, I think you, you have to trust him um, in this situation. And I think, like you said, he played high school football in Charlotte. He played his collegiate football at Georgia. So he has geographical ties to, to two states that, that South Carolina uh, has to make big priorities every year in recruiting. Uh, I understand he's going to take over the Rock Hill area. He's going to recruit Charlotte. And there's going to be some additional areas as well. So, uh, he's going to have an important area for for the Gamecocks, and he's going to get an opportunity to prove himself right off the right out of the gate. So, um, and he also has coached tight ends, he's coached receivers, so he's got some versatility in terms of, of positions he can coach. If you do have some some coaching moves over the course of his time at, at South Carolina, so uh, I think it's a, a good addition. I think having Bobby Bentley move over to quarterbacks makes a lot of sense. It's the position he's coached for most of his career, and. You know, sort of how he made a living at Burns at the high school level and, and as a head coach at PC. And, you know, he's I think he's always thought of himself as a quarterback coach at heart. So um, I think it's a good move for him and should re-energize him as a coach and uh, and, and give him a chance to, to not only help as a, a coach in practice and in games, but also on the recruiting trail, give them, you know, he and Bobo both targeting quarterbacks and, and sort of double teaming those guys because it, it's such an important position. Uh, I like the idea there too. So I, I think they, they, if Cox is as good as Bobo seems to think he is, I think they got better offensively uh, from a coaching staff standpoint. In that 41 to 37 win by the game, or excuse me, by the Bulldogs in 09 in Athens. And we all remember that uh, Stephen Garcia threw for a lot of yards that night. Gamecocks were at the 10-yard line, I think, through an incomplete pass. Um, Joe Cox was the quarterback for the Bulldogs. <laughs> A.J. Green was there, too. So, man, that uh, seems like yesterday. But uh, Joe Cox is there. And, and, look, I think, too, I mean, it, the Rock Hill area has not had the number of guys that annually that, that it normally has probably for the last four or five years. But – you have to think it's going to cycle back. Um, and then Charlotte is, is you know, there's about five or ten guys every year in Charlotte that I, I think the Gamecocks would want. Um, and you go, you got North Carolina up there now, and they've got a lot of momentum. So uh, I think it's any kind of advantage you can get, uh, I think, is, is a good advantage to have. Uh, and hopefully Joe Cox brings that to the table. Um, and, wow, you know, uh, he, he may be a guy that, Gets it done, um, but with all things, you know, we will see. Now, this next move, I don't know if it was a surprise. It, it wasn't something that was rumored. Uh, but Coleman Hutzler uh, goes and joins Tom Herman's staff at Texas. So, he's, uh, he's going to coach linebackers. I think he's got a co-coordinator title out there and going to coach special teams. So, he's moving on. So, the Gamecocks do have – 
one position to fill. Um, I thought kind of the, you know, the, the, the best guess would be that they move Kyle Krantz back on the field. Muschamp today, though, in his press conference didn't sound like maybe that was the idea right now. Um, just kind of reading the tea leaves there. What do you think about replacing Coleman Hutzler, Tony? I, I think they've got a lot of different ways they can structure the defensive staff because you have some versatile guys over there. But, um, you know, it's just going to be interesting when you throw the special teams coordinator title in it too. Well, I think that's why he, he probably isn't going to, to go the Krantz route because he has to have a special teams coordinator Hutzler coached the inside linebackers, and, and that's an important position, obviously. But uh, he was primarily the special teams coordinator, and I, I don't think Krantz would be ready for that job as an inexperienced coach. Uh, and, and I don't know that they have anyone on staff who, who fits that description of what you're looking for. So, um, like you said, they do have some flexibility. They don't necessarily have to find a linebackers coach who also coaches special teams because I don't think there's a lot of guys like that out there. You know, DJ Durkin comes to mind as a guy who does fit that description, but I don't know if he's even going to be a possibility with the fact that he's already taken an Ole Miss job and and then the, the track record at Maryland with the player dying. is you know, I don't know if, if he would be someone Muschamp would be allowed to hire or not. I, I think you at least have to explore all of that. I know Muschamp has been a, a defender of his and, and still – you know, has said publicly that he believes in him and, and, and thinks highly of him as a person and a coach. So, um, you know, but he certainly just on paper would, would, would looks like a great fit. Uh, but I don't know if he's going to be a possibility. Uh, but if, if they don't hire a linebackers guy, they could move Mike Peterson, give him the entire linebacker group, you know, guy who played linebacker at Florida and then the NFL for a number of years and certainly has the, the, I think that the knowledge and the track record to, to be a good fit there coaching the entire linebacking crew, if that's what he wants to do. Uh, so that could give him some flexibility, but uh, you, you could hire a guy who has secondary experience as, as a special teams guy. But I think the, the priority for Muschamp is going to be finding a guy who is the right fit from a special team standpoint. And then the position he coaches is secondary because Hutzler did a good job. I think on special teams, it was really, I think the one um, aspect of South Carolina's team that was consistently prepared week in and week out. You know, they, they looked like they were well coached. Their fundamentals were good. Their coverage teams have been good for the most part. Return teams have been good when they've had the right return men. Um, you know, kicking game and punting game have been pretty consistent. There's always some ups and downs there, but uh, I thought he, he did a good job of managing those groups and, and making sure they were prepared week in and week out. So, Muschamp's going to need to find someone who can take over that role and, and do as good a job or better. So um, it's going to be interesting to see which direction he goes in. There hasn't really been a lot of information uh, that I've been able to gather so far in terms of uh, of who he's looking at and and, you know, and what he's most likely to do. But I would I would think the the special teams part of it is his focus. Definitely, it's a, it's a third of the game, and and yeah, you're right, South Carolina. You compare the last four years of special teams to maybe the previous four years, um, and they've gotten better every year. Part of that's, you know, because of recruiting and uh, getting more athletes on the roster. But South Carolina's been pretty good in the kicking game. Um, certainly the return game's been solid, at least the kick kickoffs have. I think, uh, you know, punt return uh, has been good at times. Um, and, and you're right, they were prepared – uh, and I think Hutzler did a good job in, in that category. And I, I think, 
you know, depending on who they hire, they'll probably miss that a little bit next year. But, um, you know, certainly uh, I, I think that part of it was good. And I think the linebackers, quite frankly, this past year uh, as a whole, when you look at the individual development of an Ernest Jones, uh, when, you, when you look at Sherrod Green and how much he improved, um, you know, even T.J. Brunson was kind of at a different position. Um Played better as the season went on. Jamar Brown's a young player that I thought looked good. I don't know if Hustler actually coached all of these guys. <laughs> but um, there was some improvement made at linebacker as well. Um, and so, you know, we'll see what happens. I think I think Hustler's a good fit at the University of Texas. Uh, and, and I expect him to be a pretty good part of, you know, Tom Herman's staff moving forward. So, we got another coaching opening. Um, and that will be interesting. And, uh, of course, all that – Feeds into recruiting. And, uh, Tony, the first signing day uh, was a success for South Carolina. Big, big announcement. Uh, Jordan Birch um, committing to the Gamecocks. He did not sign. Uh, but that was a that was a big move uh, by the Gamecocks. You know, you're talking about something on national TV, a top five player coming off four and eight season, going up against Georgia, LSU, and Clemson. Um you know, seeing that kid put the Gamecock hat on, I think, uh, you know, made a lot of people happy and, quite frankly, was a, a welcome development for the program uh, at the time. No question. And, you know, he was a player that I had almost written off during the season, uh, just going off some, some different people I was talking to who were familiar with his thinking and his mom's thinking. And, uh, you know, I, I there was just – at reading the tea leaves and adding some things up, I just thought he was going to be very tough for South Carolina to land. And then towards the end of the season, started getting some intel that that South Carolina was indeed still in it, and and in the opinion of some, was the team to beat. Uh, but you just didn't know for sure until you saw him put that hat on. And I thought it was big from obviously from a, a recruiting standpoint and a, and a player standpoint. It's big because he's a heck of a player and he's a really good kid and. Uh, I think has a chance to to be a a heck of a playmaker for the Gamecocks, but it also helps from a perception standpoint. Like you said, you you go four and eight, and there's a lot of people questioning the future of the program and and what's recruiting going to look like. And yet somehow the coaching staff holds on to every commitment, uh, signed every player they wanted to sign, and then adds a guy like Jordan Birch on top of it. And I, I thought that was you know maybe Will Muschamp's best recruiting job. Uh, those two things combined, not losing anybody despite the way the season went and then adding Jordan Birch to it on signing day on national TV. It's not what you expect to happen when you go four and eight in your in year four. Uh, but he, he pulled it off and, and obviously, you know, Muschamp played a, a big role in, in landing Birch. Travaris Robinson did as well. John Scott Jr. And, and Mike Peterson and those guys were all involved as well in, in selling him on how he'd be used. And um, and I think he he in the end wanted to stay home and, and play in Columbia. And I think he's found a home there. You know, he's from Florence, but he's been in Columbia the last few years. And I think he's found a home there and feels comfortable there. And he, he didn't want to just be a guy. He wanted to be the guy. And and right now he is that for South Carolina in this class. And uh, he's not an early enrollee, but assuming they sign him next month, he's expected to arrive uh, as soon as May, uh, it, potentially for May semester, if not May semester, then. Um, first uh, session of summer school and, and I think is a guy who will get every opportunity to show he's ready to be a part of the rotation and, and make some big plays for them this year. Yeah, I think, too, if you look at him, I mean, he's got, got a little big his senior year. I, I think they're going to trim him down. 
Um, most guys gain weight. And maybe they won't be able to because you never know what will actually happen because you're dealing with um, the good Lord in many of those situations as far as how big a kid grows or not. But, you know, I, I think he's a good edge player, uh, potentially great. Um, I think that's where he's going to help. You know, me and you have talked about pass rushing till we're blue in the face for the last few years. <laughs> and, and you kind of start to see it coming if you add him to it. You know, you got Zach Pickens back on the interior. You got Rick Sandage, who I think should make another jump this year, and some other interior guys. J.J. Enigbare, I think, was a bright spot uh, in an otherwise dismal end to the season, uh, rushing the passer. And you see some some pieces starting to kind of get in place there. Um, so it's good. And you're right about Will Muschamp in the recruiting job. And those of you that, that follow the rankings closely, um, I'll point this out on, on the Big Spur slash 24-7 sports. We have the all-time recruits. In other words, every recruit in the modern era, probably from about 2000 on, um, is ranked according to 24-7 sports composite. And uh, every school kind of has their list. And Gamecocks, of course, have theirs. Clowney's number one. But Will Muschamp, in the last two classes now, this is not counting – this is just his last two classes at South Carolina – well, Muschamp has sound five of the top 20 recruits the Gamecocks have had all time in the modern era of, you know, football recruiting and rankings and all that. And Jordan Birch is two. Zach Pickens is four. Marshawn Lloyd, which I think holding on to him was huge, um, 11. Uh, Ryan Halinski, 16. And Luke Doty, 17. So that's 25% of the 20 best recruits. As a program, South Carolina signed that have come on board the last two years. Um, it's all about winning games. It's all about being better on Saturday, in my opinion, when you talk about what Will Muschamp and his staff need to do moving forward because it'll be year five. But as far as just pure recruiting and uh, recruiting against all odds or selling ice to Eskimos, as they like to say, um, it's impressive to me, Tony. It really, really is, um, you know, considering the results on the field and, um, you know, sort of the sales job that they have to do to get players like this uh, to come on board. Yeah, no doubt. And I think it also says a lot about the character of the players uh, that South Carolina had committed to them, you know, guys that, that didn't want to jump ship when, when times got tough. You know, they wanted to, to stick it out, and, and I think there was a lot of – communication between the, the the commitments as the season went on and, and they made a pact to stick together. And, and I think that says a lot about, you know, how coachable uh, these guys are going to be when they arrive and, and what kind of fit they're going to be in the program. So uh, it, it's, it, it's a positive. And I, I think it also says a lot about, you know, the stability of things in, internally, despite the fact that they went four and eight in year four, um, you know, when you start to see a, a lot of decommitments, it usually means the players on the team have have, have stopped buying into what the coaches are, are, are selling, and, and they start telling recruits, man, you don't want to come here. You want to go somewhere else. These coaches aren't what you're looking for. You know, they lied to me. They, you know, and, that, and that didn't happen, and I think that's a, a positive. Uh, it says that, that the players in, internally are still uh, buying into Muschamp and his coaches, and uh, the the recruits are, are willing to stick with it too, so uh, I think that that it's a positive. Now, how big a positive, of course, will be determined by 
and what kind of offseason they have and, and what kind of season they have next year. But uh, I think for the time being, it, it certainly is, is something that, that Muschamp can point to and, and, and the rest of the coaches can, can be proud of, the fact that they were able to, to keep things together. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Of course, we got uh, looking at it, 10 early enrollees. Marshawn Lloyd, to me, Tony, probably the biggest one, uh, just in terms of what they need. When you look at Carolina, what they have returning at running back, um, you have Kevin Harris and Deshaun Fenwick and uh, dot, dot, dot. You know, there's there's some walk-ons, uh, I think. Um, so, uh, I, I think that's big for Marshawn. We've talked about it on the podcast before. You know, getting in, getting with the program, uh, and being able to compete for that starting job uh, right out the gate. Because just from a pure talent standpoint, I would have to say he's the best one. That's taking nothing away from Kevin Harris who I think is going to be pretty good for what he does. And Deshaun Fenwick, who's had a couple of games where he's, you know, shown signs and then a couple of games or times where he hasn't or hadn't played a whole lot. But but I think Lloyd's the most talented back on the roster. Uh, and so it's big for him to be able to go through spring practice and compete. No doubt. And I think the coaches understood that. And that's one of the reasons why he ended up transferring to a different school towards the end of his semester to where he could – you know, get the credits and, and be allowed to, to graduate early and enroll at South Carolina in January. He knew uh, how important it was for him to, to get on campus and, and go through winter workouts, go through spring practice and, and have a chance to be the guy from day one. Uh, and I think he's physically ready and, and, and or certainly will be physically ready uh, when the when fall practice rolls around and when the, uh, you know, the, the, the first game rolls around next year. Uh, I think the key for him is going to be mental. You know, how does he how quickly does he pick up the system? How quickly does he show he can be relied on in pass protection and, uh, you know, catching the ball out of the backfield and, and doing all the different things you have to do in, in, in a, a Mike Bobo offense as a running back? And I think, you know, having him be able to go through winter workouts and spring practice is going to pay dividends for him. And he should be much further along when fall practice opens than he would have been if, if he you know, wouldn't have arrived until June, which was the original plan for him. I'm trying to think back, I, Bobo at Georgia. Todd Gurley, I think, started as a freshman with Keith Marshall playing a lot. Isaiah Crowell, I think, started as a true freshman at Georgia. Going back in time, maybe Thomas Brown and Danny Ware were freshmen that year. I don't remember completely. But, yeah, they've, they've uh, there's a track record there uh, with Bobo and, and starting talented true freshman running backs, albeit at Georgia. Ask you about this guy, Jaston Turnentine, you know, big offensive lineman out of Hutchison, Kansas. Um, and, and I'm going to throw this out and see what you think about it. I think that if he can win the starting left tackle job or even the right tackle job and move Dylan Wanham to left, that would allow them to move Sedarius Hutcherson back inside and I think thus would make it a better offensive line. Um, or if Ja'Kai – I mean, it doesn't have to be turning time. If Ja'Kai Moore happened to win the left tackle job, it's the same premise. But, I mean, you don't sign Juco offensive linemen to put them on the bench. What are your thoughts about turning time being able to compete? Uh, I'm up in there. I'm 50-50. You know, I, I don't automatically just think everybody's going to be Dennis Daly uh, when they drop – when they walk in because, you know, sometimes you get Woodley Telford. <laughs> Freddie St. Pro, you know, sometimes sometimes you get – who's the kid from Aiken that they got a couple of years ago that never played out of junior college? Um, 
so so it's it's hit or miss on the O line, but I would think that would be the hope uh, is that he could get that left tackle job and they could move Hutch back inside. Yeah, I definitely think they want to move Hutcherson back inside if they can. I think it's his more natural position and, and a position where he can be more productive. Uh, I thought he did a pretty good job under tough circumstances this year as a left tackle. Uh, he did have some games where he was struggling out there in space at times against really good players, but that's going to happen. Uh, but I, I do think he's more comfortable inside and, and um, is a better fit there athletically and, and just the way he's built. Um, but like you said, junior college guys are hit or miss. Uh, certainly having him graduate in three semesters is a good sign when, when you get these players who are um, you know, able to graduate early and enroll early. It usually means he, he's done a good job academically and, and uh, is, is smart enough to, to potentially pick things up um, early and, and, and work his way into the rotation or maybe even as a starter. So I, I think it would be good if they can – um, you know, have him be far, farther enough along coming out of spring practice. They feel good about him. Like you said, Ja'Kai Moore, um, you know, Jalen Nichols, uh, some of the other Mark Fox, some of the other young tackles. You know, I think Eric Wolford needs to bring some of those guys along. And, and the, the better he feels about those guys as a group, I think the more likely he is to, to you know, play Hutcherson at left guard. Uh, and then they just have to sort out the center position there and figure out whether it's, you know, Hank Manis or Vincent Murphy or uh, you know, who makes the most sense at center. Uh, so um, replacing Donnell Stanley won't be easy, uh, but uh, I think it's a, you know, should be a, a big physical offensive line. I think they'll be more physical in, in Bobo's offense. And, and, and uh, I think, you know, Bobo's arrival could be good for Eric Wolford. I think their two styles merge well. And, and I think that, um, you know, Wolford is a guy that, that certainly wants to get more production from his guys in 2020 than he did in 2019. Certainly, yeah. I, I thought the offensive line 2018 to 2019 did take a step back. Of course, when you lose Dylan Wanham, you got to start Jalen Nichols um, as a true freshman out there. Um, that's tough. That's where, like, you know, building your offensive line uh, when you have depth issues and you have numbers issues like, like he inherited – that's where that becomes an issue because you got you had Maxwell Iyama, who probably would have stepped in instead of Jalen Nichols behind Dylan Wanham when he was hurt, uh, who had a you know career-ending situation, and, and so you lose one guy, and then all of a sudden you're back to relying on true freshmen. So, you know that that's kind of the toughness of it um, in terms of the numbers for right now. But the good news is all these guys are getting older, and there's more guys coming into the program and things of that nature. Tony, did you get a chance to see Colin Hill when he was at Dorman in the Shrine Bowl or anything like that? I did see him at the Shrine Bowl that year. I don't remember, can't say I remember a ton, uh, other than he's a you know big kid and you know certainly passes the eye test, but um, didn't focus a lot on him just because South Carolina wasn't involved. So, um, but I, I think it's an intriguing addition to the team. I think at the very least. And I've, I've written about this on the site, but I think at the very least, he will be a very valuable asset for Ryan Helensky and Luke Doty and the other quarterbacks as they learn to do things the way Mike Bobo wants them done in his offense. Uh, I, you know, I think he'll help in the film room. I think he'll help in the meeting room. I think he'll help on the field in practice. Best case scenario is he's he's healthy enough and, and good enough to potentially help South Carolina win some games this year. And I think that... 
if he is completely healthy, I, I think Mike Bobo thinks highly enough of him and has enough confidence in him to to turn to him. If even if he's not the starter, if if the starter's struggling and and they need a change, I think he would give Colin Hill that opportunity. So you know the the three torn ACLs that he's he's dealt with, including one this past year that ended his his uh, season at Colorado State, obviously is a concern. Uh, but I don't think it's as big a concern as it was, you know, 15 years ago. I think they've, they've really gotten these procedures down to a science and players are coming back faster and faster from them. And, and sometimes their knee is, is even stronger after the procedure than it is than it was before the, the injury. So um, so it's, it, it's, it's an uphill battle for him, I think, but certainly not something that's impossible for him to, to get to full strength. And you know, he probably won't be able to do much in the spring, if anything. But like I said, he certainly can help uh, with those other quarterbacks and, and help bring them along faster and and then you know, get a better feel for where he is in fall practice and how he stacks up with the other guys. He's not the only guy coming from Colorado State. This kid, Adam Prentice, <laughs> um, from Fresno, California, a, a fullback type. Uh, Tony's dogs. <laughs> is a guy that um, – Walked on to Colorado, Colorado State, uh, ended up really helping the team. Um, you know, can run the ball, can, I guess, catch it a little bit as a big blocker type of guy and uh, was a captain out there for CSU, six foot, 236 pounds. Gamecocks don't have a ton of fullback types on their roster, Tony. Um, Spencer Eason Riddle. Uh, is a walk-on at Carolina that I think would have a shot at that job, but he's got a torn ACL. Uh, I thought this move made a lot of sense as well. They they say he's going to go on scholarship in the fall, probably a 2021 guy uh, in terms of counting those numbers. Uh, but your thoughts about uh, bringing in Adam Prentice, something tells me this guy may be on the field more than we think this year. Yeah, I, I agree that he's a big addition. You know, for, for Bobo to, to – install his offense and do the things he wants to do, you need a fullback. And you, know, you think back to the Marcus Lattimore years at South Carolina and, and Pat DeMarco played a huge role in, in helping Marcus Lattimore as his lead blocker. Um, you know, he probably touched the ball more in the offense than, than Prentice is likely to. Um, but you need that guy who understands his role and, and has the, the right mentality and the right physical tools to, to be a lead blocker and to open up plays that – you know, otherwise might not work. So uh, I, I think he's going to play quite a bit. And I think he's it's not going to take him long to, to become uh, someone that Marshawn Lloyd and Kevin Harrison, Deshaun Fenwick love having ahead of them. Uh, because, you know, fullback really wasn't a part of what South Carolina has done really since Muschamp came to South Carolina. They've used one here and there. But uh, I think that, that, that he's going to uh, be asked to, to play a big role as a blocker, could catch the ball here or there. I don't think he carried the ball at all last year, if I remember correctly, but he did have some catches out of the backfield. So there's some different ways they can use him, but I think Bobo primarily brought him in to be a blocker and to be a guy who can be a difference maker for him in that area and, and, and really help these young backs as they you know become the, the go-to players in the offense. All right, so – we talked about some on-field coaching changes, and uh, obviously there's a big off-field coaching change. Um, probably four – I guess you could count four of them because he brought three assistants with him. Paul Jackson uh, is now the head strength coach at South Carolina, coming over from Ole Miss. Um, I, 
as these things go, and, and strength coaches are kind of tough to dissect and evaluate. I mean, there's some superstars out there like Scott Cochran and Tommy Moffitt, but, you know, other than that, they're just, you know, there's just a lot of guys. Um, and, and, you know, you, you tend to kind of say, that well, the best ones are with the, the winning schools. But um, this guy, you know, seems to have a track record, seems to know what he's doing. Uh, seems to be on the same page with Little Muschamp as far as some of the soft tissue issues they had and preventing that, um, and brought his whole staff. It, it, and I think probably Tony, perhaps most importantly, uh, I think with the injury situation Carolina had with the losing last year, I think sometimes players need to hear a new voice in the off season. It's almost psychological. Hey, this is what's new. We're doing this new. This is why things are going to be better. Um, just from a confidence standpoint. But your impressions of, of Paul Jackson and the overhaul uh, of the strength program at South Carolina? Well, I think this is an important hire. Uh, I think that, that, you know, how well he does could go a long way towards determining how much longer Will Muschamp is the coach at South Carolina. You know, is it two more years or is it ten more years? And, and I think that, that – um, you can't put all of the injuries on Dillman, and we've talked about this, Jeff Dillman, the previous strength coach. You can't put it all on him. Um, but, you know, there's you go back to the Florida days, and there's really two common denominators between the injury problem. There Will Muschamp and Jeff Dillman. And one of those is gone, and, and um, you know, Paul Jackson takes over, and I, I, he's not going to have a magic bullet that just fixes everything. You're always going to have injuries particularly in a physical conference like the SEC and, and on a team like South Carolina that lacks depth at a lot of positions uh, and, and requires players to play a lot of snaps, injuries are going to happen. And I'm not saying that, that um, you know, you should expect injuries to just disappear. That's not going to happen. But I think Jackson is going to focus more on flexibility, more on the conditioning side of things than Dillman did. I think he, he certainly wants to take a different approach in that area. Lifting is also very important and a big part of it, but you have to have you have to find that balance uh, in in terms of, of the strength and conditioning part of it, and and find a way to put a player who's not only strong and and fast, but also flexible and and has the ability to to you know last over the course of a season through the practices and and the the games and and all the different things that are required of a player and and. You know, these last two seasons, South Carolina's just had far too many injuries, and, and it's hurt them. And it makes life tough on the coaches and, 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 and makes it a lot harder to win football games in a conference like the SEC. So I think Jackson knows what he's walking into. You know, they started their winter workouts this week on Monday, and uh, I've talked to a couple of different sources down there. And, and you know, one, of, one of them didn't elaborate on what they meant, but the response I got to, to what kind of impression has he made is that it was night and day in terms of, of, you know, the energy level and, and, and what he's done so far and the way the players have responded to him. So I think that's a positive, but it's only, you know, it's, I think they've got three workouts under their belt with him. So you, you can't read too much into that, but I think the reception has been good. The players seem to be responding well to him. And I think the, the, the assistant coaches like the approach he's going to take with, with their players and, and, it's a it's a huge role. I mean, these the strength coach probably spends more time with the team than any other coach um, over the course of a of an entire calendar year. So um, you know, which which team shows up for for the coaches to work with in spring practice? Paul Jackson and staff is going to have a lot to do with, and then which team shows up in August for fall practice? Paul Jackson and staff are going to have a lot to do with. So um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. 
you know, this time of year, uh, gosh, I guess it was, it was 2016. Um, I went to interview some players with, with John Whittle after the junior day, and I met Zach Pickens. <laughs> that was the first time I saw Zach Pickens, and that's kind of where the groundwork was laid for him becoming a Gamecock. Uh, was that junior day visit. There's a big junior day coming up this weekend, Tony. I know there's a lot of questions about 2021 class uh, because of the, the, the light uh, number of prospects in state. At the same time, there are a lot of guys in North Carolina. Um, with the way the season went, I know I personally was, you know, dialing back my expectations for 2021. But, you know, I think the staff can still recruit pretty well. Um, how big is this junior day coming up in terms of laying the groundwork and identifying some top targets uh, for, for this 2021 cycle? Well, it's it's always biggest with the players who are making their first visit. You know, it, 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 it I don't know that it means as much if, if you have a player who came to a few games this year, he's been to practice, he's been around the staff and knows what he's walking into. But when you have a player who – uh, has never been to campus before. He's never seen the facilities. He's never met the coaches. Uh, I think it's important, and I, I think that it sets the groundwork for for how things are likely to go as the rest of the recruiting process goes. So, um, I, I do think it's important. Sometimes I think people can put a little bit too much emphasis on it, especially if they don't get a, a commitment and people are you know, junior day was a failure. Nobody committed, and you know, it, it, it's it, it's not it's not it really isn't that kind of, of event where they're pushing for a bunch of commitments. It's more of, a, of an intro and showing the facilities, getting to know the players, getting a sense of how they would fit in from a personality standpoint, getting to know the parents, you know, getting to know high school coaches who might bring players with them. There's just so many different factors that go into it. But, uh, but I, I do think it's important. You know, maybe the most important target who's going to be on campus this weekend, it looks like, is a class of 22 prospect. Uh, in, in quarterback Gunnar Stockton, uh, who is currently the number one player in the state of Georgia in the 2022 class, according to 24-7 Sports. He's a four-star guy right now, but I think he has five-star type potential, depending on how he progresses. And, and he and Mike Bobo have known each other for a long time. Uh, Bobo's father has been his personal quarterback's coach for since he was a young boy. Uh, so I think the Gamecocks all of a sudden are a major factor with him obviously how things go these next two seasons will will go a long way towards determining how realistic it is for him for him to end up in Columbia ultimately. Uh, but I think the Gamecocks have a lot of things working in their favor, and, and if they can get him on campus this weekend as planned, uh, that'll be a very important visit. And then uh, Michael Morris, four-star offensive tackle, who almost made a decision last month, is also going to be on campus. Uh, I think it's South Carolina and Georgia, the two primary schools for him right now. Thad Franklin, a four-star running back out of Miami, who uh, decommitted from Miami last month, is going to be on campus. Thomas Brown obviously has ties down there from his days as a Hurricane coach, and and uh, I think South Florida is an area where they want to have more success going forward in recruiting uh, and getting him on campus. Certainly, is going to be very important this weekend for for things to go well there. One one truth. Never quit recruiting a kid that commits super early to Miami. <laughs> they're yeah. the, they're not no just question. the you; they're the decommit you uh, that's out there. Yeah, that kid Thad Franklin's good. Gamecocks can get him more power to them. Um, so I, I feel sneaky positive about Michael Morris when it comes to the Gamecocks, and that's not a guy you know. He's from the state of Georgia and all that. That I looked at and thought, 
at the beginning that, hey, you know, the Gamecocks are, are, are right there with him. Uh, but the departure of Sam Pittman, uh, that kind of changes things as far as Georgia's offensive line recruiting goes. Sam Pittman was a wizard recruiting, and, uh, you know, Eric Wolford obviously has a good relationship with him. On Gunner Stockton, of course, there he's from Rabin County, uh, which is in northwest Georgia. I'm sorry, northeast Georgia, um, kind of right across from uh, Oconee up there in the mountains. J-Bo Shaw, Connor Shaw, who is now the director of player development at Carolina, former Gamecock quarterback, that's his head coach. Um, and, of course, the ties to Bobo, um, as we've all kind of gone through. Uh, that's a big thing. Gunnar Stockton is, and he's a special player too, uh, the number two, number two overall prospect, according to 24-7 Sports, in the class of 2022. Um, just ahead of Shamar Stewart, a defensive end out of uh, South Florida. So, Gunnar Stockton uh, obviously is an elite, elite quarterback right now in that particular class as the number two overall player in the country. I think it'll be, you know, quite interesting to see if anything comes of that. Um, you know, not in terms of a commitment this weekend, but the Gamecocks laying the groundwork. Uh, and, and just to see, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a big time. Big time guy, and you got to take advantage of those connections. Tony, for 2020, uh, Henry Parrish, the mystery man, uh, looks like he may make a decision pretty soon. Um, I kind of feel sneaky confident about the Gamecocks here, but you know, what's your take? And you know, just for what it's worth, I think I think you get that guy in as another running back in this class. I think that's that's pretty doggone good. You know, four star kid out of Miami who's. Uh, very, very naturally talented. Yeah, I, I would say the 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 phrase to describe how South Carolina staff feels about Parrish is they're cautiously optimistic. Mm-hmm. I think Thomas Brown has developed the best relationship with him of all the assistant coaches who are recruiting him. I think that's one of the things they're hoping will pay dividends. You know, he's it looks like he's going to commit probably on Sunday as of today. Although I've heard that could change, but if it, it does happen on Sunday. He's going to do it without visiting Ole Miss. So certainly that would be a positive sign there that he, he's not been to Oxford yet and is willing to make a decision. You would think they're not the choice. I don't think he's going to Pittsburgh, uh, his, a team he was formerly committed to. I think if he's going there, he never would have decommitted. And then Oregon is the other team that's a finalist for him, and he has not been out there either, and you wouldn't expect him to go across the country to a place he's never visited. So I, I think just reading the tea leaves – I think South Carolina is the likely choice, but South Florida players are unpredictable and they will oftentimes do what you're not expecting. So I think that's where the cautiousness comes in from South Carolina's perspective. Um, they, they don't know for sure what he's going to do. I think they're hopeful and cautiously optimistic, but I think they'll be holding their breath until he makes that commitment and, and potentially even until he signs his papers. Very, very true. And so on that note, we're going to wrap it up here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe for free on iTunes, uh, Google Play, Spotify. Uh, We're all over the place. Just hit that subscribe button absolutely free. You get a little alert every time we have an episode. So for Tony Burrell, this is J.C. Sherbert. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll talk to you soon.